Um, hello and good morning, I'm Susie, as Luke said, those of you who don't know me. Um, it's good to be speaking to you again, and it's good to be back in the building. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed the last weekend's Who Let the Rivers Out? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. 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 Time? yeah, I certainly did. I um, decided to go for the 5k run. Which, for those of you who know me, is completely out of character. <laughs> character. But I did it, and it was really fun, and I'm not sure what I'll do it again. <laughs> anyway, um, for those of you who've been around for the past couple of months, um, you'll know that we're in a series in the Gospel of Luke, where we're looking at the last week in the life of Jesus before his crucifixion and death. It's usually studied um, at Easter, in Easter, or in Holy Week, which it's called in lots of churches, um, which is the week running up to Easter, starting with Palm Sunday, um, where Tom spoke a couple of months ago, it must have been, um, when Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. And then following the week's events in Jesus' last life, ending in him being betrayed, handed over to the authorities, and being unfairly convicted and put to death in the most horrifying way. And so what we're doing over this series is we're slowing the story down. We're slowing that last week down. Even though it only happened in a week, we're taking each part of such a dramatic and important sequence of events and looking at the moment by moment in order to really take it in. And I think when we do that, you know, when we slow time down, as it were, it's like seeing something slow motion in, in a film almost, that's how I see it anyway. When the action is slowed down, and you, you sort of see everything, and you feel everything in a greater way. And I think that's what God does when we spend time with him, he slows down time miraculously. And he, and he dims all the, the noise and the busyness going on. And he takes us out of ourselves and helps us to see him. He lifts up our head like he's done already this morning. He helps us to see him and hear him better. And then we see ourselves more clearly too, don't we? We're so wrapped up in ourselves. I mean, sometimes it takes me the whole day to just get out of my own head, which is depressing. But you see, when, when we come to God, he just lifts us out of that, out of that horrible self-centeredness, and he shines a light on himself. Because the centre of our lives isn't him, is it? It isn't us, sorry. It's him. That's an error. <laughs> the centre of our life isn't us, it's him. And so that's what I'm praying for all of us this morning. That as we focus on this moment in the story, it's, it's a dark place, it's the night of Jesus' betrayal. As we focus on that, that we'll see things more clearly, we'll see him more clearly. And I want us to feel that heightened sense of importance and anticipation of Jesus' death. We're not there yet. Because at this point, we know that death is looming. It's almost hanging over Jesus, but it hasn't happened yet. And I think it's good for us to get ourselves at that place of anticipation. You see, 
see, Jesus predicted his death all along. We read it in the Gospels that for the three years of his ministry, he was, he was teaching, he was healing, he was travelling around with his disciples. And now the pressure is mounting. And two weeks ago, we, we heard with Steph the very real and painful life of temptation Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he could have, how he could have just walked away from the situation. But he's so obedient to the Father, he says, not my will, but yours be done. It's amazing, his obedience. And then at that moment, an angel comes to him and comforts him. And I, I just love that. At that moment where he's just faced with temptation, he, he prays, not my will, but yours. He gives himself up in obedience. And wow, an angel comes to comfort him. The power of heaven coming down. It's such a critical moment and it strengthens him. But then today, we reach, in, in Luke 22, we'll turn there in a second, we reach this awful moment on that same night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. He's given up to the authorities for arrest. It's an absolutely pivotal moment in the story and it's really important, like I said, that we stop at that moment of betrayal. The kiss of Judas started the whole trial and murder of Jesus. And it's, it's just horrific that the murder of the morally perfect Son of God would begin with a kiss of his friend, his follower. So we're going to see how Jesus reacts in that moment, how he demonstrates his perfect humanity, his obedience to the Father, and all the time trusting that God is in control. Even at this dark hour, both physically and sort of metaphorically, when from a human perspective, things seem to be going seriously wrong, God's timing is perfect. And that's what we need to hear today. In the face of darkness, God is in control and his timing is perfect. It's pretty fun. Um, so let's turn um, to the passage in Luke 22 from verse 47. We're going to read from verse 47 to 53. And as we read it, I want us to jo join Jesus and his disciples, if you can, in your mind, in the garden at night and just slow down in the story. It's so easy, isn't it, to read the scriptures and read familiar passages and sort of skim over quickly and say phrases that we don't really stop and think about what they actually mean. I want us to enter the story. It's crucial we see what's happening. And I, and I pray that God's supernatural insight will come and help us understand the significance of the situation here and just how trustworthy God is. So, here we are. Luke 22, verse 47. It's the in the garden at night, Jesus is being tortured. He's sweat drops of blood. He's saying, we hear in the passage before, death is literally looming over, and his disciples are tired and asleep out of it. So, a 
And he's saying, don't sleep. That's what he's saying. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's the previous verse. So here we are. While he was still speaking, verse 47, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as a robber? with swords and clubs. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. It's a sobering passage, isn't it? Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for your word. And thank you we can come this morning from our busy lives, our busy minds, our distracted hearts, Lord. And you bring peace. You bring real peace. You bring rest for our souls like we were here. You come into our house, you come into every part of our room, whether it's a mess or whether it's tidy, Lord, and, and you bring your peace. And I pray that we would um, know that peace this morning in our hearts. I pray you help um, my words, that your spirit would come and bring life and comfort where we're hurt and where we're confused. God, thank you your light has overcome the darkness. Thank you that you are in control in this hour of darkness. Lord, I pray, I pray for your hand of peace and light to shine in this hour. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, here we are. Jesus um, is in the place where he retreats at night, the Garden of Gethsemane. We know he spent his days out teaching, and throughout the three years of his ministry, healing and teaching and travelling across Palestine, crowds would come out and see him. He was busy. But you know what? He always found the time to retreat and pray and be alone. It's a very intimate place, isn't it, when we're alone with God in our quiet times. It's very intimate. And that's what Jesus was doing this night. He was in a seemingly safe place, alone with his Father, pouring his heart out to him. He was in a place of solitude and prayer. And then, bam! All of a sudden, so abruptly, in March, this crowd of people, we know that there was both the leaders of the Jewish temple and the Jewish legal court system. So serious stuff. There's the, the chief priests, it says, the officers of the temple and the elders. You see in verse 52. And then alongside them, we know from other gospel accounts, but there would have been a whole detachment of Roman soldiers. I found out when I was researching this, 
That would have meant over 200 soldiers, which is terrifying. In fact, he that in this place of solitude and then crowds of people, soldiers, is, is terrifying. And they're all approaching him in the middle of the night, charging into his private quiet time. is awful. And then look who's leading the charge. It's not one of the priests. It's not a Roman officer who we, we would expect. But it's Judas, one of Jesus' own people. See, in verse 47, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading him, leading them. Judas was meant to be a friend, wasn't he? He was one of Jesus' chosen disciples, one of his inner group. You see, Judas, Judas would have known where Jesus was that night, where he liked to go this special place of intimacy. That's the tragedy. Judas, who supposedly followed Jesus, had given up three years of his life to serve him, to preach the new kingdom, was about to be, was about to give him up to the chief priests and elders to kill him. He had insider knowledge where Jesus was that night, and he was ready to betray him. So from a place of intimacy in the passage before, we're now in a pretty dramatic arrest scene. And what does Judas do? He, he draws near to Jesus, it says in verse 47, to kiss him. He leans in to touch him. And at that moment, let's just press pause and look at the significance of this. A kiss it's such a simple act, isn't it? But it's so intimate. You have to draw near, physically, literally, draw near to kiss the cheek, the skin of Jesus. And this image is one of the most tragically poignant images of all time, I think. It's inspired writers, it's inspired artists. The idea that you could be betrayed by a kiss. How could one of Jesus' inner group do this? To think that he'd served with Jesus. He was there on the scene when Jesus was healing and, and preaching and praying. And now he's giving him up. It's sort of unbearably painful, isn't it? But look what Jesus does at that moment, at that moment of seeming intimacy. In verse 48, it says, Jesus says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So he speaks directly to him. He calls out this, the tragic irony of the situation. He's saying, don't you know me? Don't you know what I've been doing here? Don't you know what we've been doing here? A kiss is meant to be loving and affectionate. But here, it's a terrible sin. And it's about to lead to Jesus' arrest. I can't bear it. That beautiful act of a kiss, meaning death. What's, what's the significance? Well, what I want us to think about um, a bit this morning is the humanness, which I'm not sure is a word, but I, I preferred it to humanity. The humanness 
of Jesus. I didn't do a quick Google. Humanness of Jesus being betrayed. It shows how very human he was. Betrayal isn't a good thing. It's not a nice thing, is it? It means that you appear one way to someone, you appear to care and love someone, but then you go behind their back and break their trust and hurt them. Judas was meant to care for Jesus, but now he's doing the worst thing imaginable. He's collaborating to kill him. How could a friend and follower do this? Well, we know um, from three weeks ago with Rich's sermon that Judas wasn't all, all that he appeared to be. We know that Judas was stealing money from the disciples' finances. <coughs> and then we see at the beginning of this chapter, Luke 22, it says that Satan entered Judas before he went on to collaborate with the Jewish leaders. And actually, the, the amount that he was paid for this, we're told is 30 pieces of silver, which is the amount that you'd get for giving up a slave, or the amount you'd be fined for an accidental death of a slave. So if you killed a slave by accident, that's what you'd have to pay. It's a very, very small amount, which is just sort of tragic that Judas is giving up his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. So it's a brutal, brutal betrayal here. And imagine what the disciples felt in the garden, the other disciples, seeing who they, they once serving Jesus with, one of their own, just turning his back on their leader. But look at what Jesus does in this moment of pain when he realises that Judas is betraying all trust and love that ever existed between them. In his question in verse 48, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? He refers to himself as human, as the Son of Man. And it may seem a small thing, but in that phrase, Son of Man, we can see the importance of Jesus being fully human here. He doesn't refer to himself as the Son of God at this point. He says, the Son of Man. And I say this because this is our God, isn't it? This is the absolute miracle of our faith. That God became a human to live the perfect life. So he could be the blameless and holy sacrifice to cover all our sin when he was killed. So I was... Um, chatting to Steph earlier this week during um, my preparation for this, and it really challenged me. He really challenged me when he said, we can't just, we often just skip to the death of Jesus, to his cross and resurrection, which is completely fundamental to our faith. But we, we sort of skip over and don't realise the importance of Jesus living the perfect life. And he lived 33 years before that point. Because if we just skip to the death, we sort of get in a cycle of confessing our sins, asking for forgiveness, and that's it. And of course that's crucial, but we don't really understand that Jesus is the example of perfect humanness, if I can use that word, for 33 years. 
It means that he also experienced everything of what being human is. He experienced everything, both good and bad. It says in Hebrews 4, verse 15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This verse is really like one of my absolute favourites, along with lots of other absolute favourites. But this this verse means that, that Jesus, who was the perfect high priest, completely sinless, was also tempted in every way, it says. Tempted as we are. He experienced it. Everything that we could ever go through in life. And if he's done that, he sympathizes with us in our weakness. Our God isn't some out of sight, abstract being that can't relate to us. That's the radical thing about Jesus. He's holy and mighty and heavenly. He's the Son of God. Yet he also became this completely frail and dependent human being, the Son of Man. And and that means that he can sympathise with us in our weaknesses. He's been there. He's walked that path. He's felt the pain, that deep pain of rejection. The physical pain you you seem to feel in your heart almost when you, you can feel this pain. When you're, you find yourself sick with grief and painful tears, when you've been rejected or betrayed, Jesus, our perfect King, has felt it too. You see, Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed, to be let down by someone. The phrases we use for betrayal are so vivid, aren't they? Like, stab, I was thinking of stabbing someone in the back, double dealing, deception, cheating on someone. They're all such strong images. And, and you could be sitting here this morning thinking, I, I've been utterly hurt. How could you understand what I've been through? Heartbreaking betrayal. You might have been deceived by a family member. You thought that you could never imagine would turn on you, or a friend you thought cared for you, or a boyfriend or girlfriend, or even husband or wife who you assumed was loyal. We live in a culture where no one wants to make commitments anymore, but deep down inside we need that trust. We need to trust others, and we need them. We need us to trust them them to trust us. And equally, it could have been you on the other side, giving in to temptation and betraying someone else, not standing up for someone we care for, feeling weak and taking the easy road out, or getting yourself ahead by putting someone else down, betraying someone in favour of yourself. We're all very, very capable of it. But the most amazing thing today 
is, is that if Jesus has been there and knows the human condition, he knows what it's like to have been tempted, and he knows what it's like in this passage to be betrayed, and he's so sinless in it, then he can bring healing to us all. Full, heal, full healing this morning and full restoration. Because Jesus is not only perfectly and fully human, he's also fully God. And his willingness to be put up to death, as we'll see in the next few weeks, brings us that forgiveness and restoration from our weak and sinful hearts. Wow. But it's so easy to miss the point, isn't it? It's so easy to act in the wrong way when someone, something goes wrong and not see what God's actually doing. And that's what happens to the disciples as we move on to the next bit of our passage in verse 49. After Judas has lent in to kiss Jesus, it says in verse 49, and when those were, who were around him saw what would follow, which the disciples, they're seeing what's happening, they said, Lord, Shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. You see, the disciples are so shocked at what's happening. And to be fair, they must have been absolutely terrified. There's 200 soldiers. Because they would have also been killed, being a follower of, of, of this insurrectionist. You know, they, they got out their swords to fight. What else were they meant to do? Surely it's a matter of life and death, isn't it? And so the disciple, we know who's Peter, just chops off the servant's ear. But look at what Jesus does. He's the one who's being betrayed. He's the one who's about to be arrested. But he immediately cries out in verse 51, no more of this. And then in a moment, he touches the servant's ear and heals him. Just like that. Just healed. You see, the disciples are completely missing the point. What's happening here isn't a physical fight. It's not a physical fight. It's not a physical war. But it's a spiritual war. Jesus isn't a revolutionary fighter or a military messiah. He's not out to kill. He's here to bring peace. And that's what he's been preaching all along. A kingdom of life, not death. And then he confronts the crowd and says the most insightful thing. I love it. Jesus always reveals the bigger picture, doesn't he? Always reveals the truth of what's going on. It's amazing. We always get caught up with what's in front of us, don't we? Always, like the disciples here who are thinking they're doing the right thing, locking off the ear, defending their leader. But Jesus is like, no, you're missing the point. And so he says in verse 52, he says to the Jewish leaders, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? He says, is this a matter of fighting? No. He goes on to say, when I was with you, day after day, in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. 
But this is your hour and the power of darkness. You see, God isn't absent in the darkness. Behind the betrayal is the hand of God and his plan of love. The, the death of Jesus was God's doing. We can't keep his hands clean from this murder. You see, Jesus and his father are completely in control. This is all part of the counter plan. Jesus is saying, you could have killed me any time. I was with you in the temple, day after day. But it wasn't the right time. And now it did. This is the hour of darkness. It's completely part of the plan. God is allowing his son to enter the darkness of death. Of cruelty, of being tried and mocked and beaten and eventually killed. And at, at this point, I just have this sense, whilst I'm preparing for today, I have this picture, or just this sense, of Jesus' absolute obedience in the face of the worst things that were happening to him. Look at what was being thrown against him. Betrayal by a friend. A humiliating and physically violent arrest and trial. And then worst of all, death being hung and nailed on a cross for everyone to see. He was going down and down and down. That's the trajectory he's on. I have this sense of, of this dark. It's so dark. The darkness is looming. And he's gone from the heights of glory. He's come from heaven in glory with his father. And he's becoming frailer and frailer. He's this human who understands our weaknesses. And it's getting worse and worse. More pain. And yet, such composure here. Still healing at that moment. He has, he's so obedient to his father. He says, this is your hour. And the power of darkness. Because he knows God has a bigger and life-giving plan for everyone else. It's remarkable. It says in Philippians 2, verse 8, about Jesus, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That humility and obedience. Giving yourself up to die for someone is heroic, isn't it? You can only imagine doing that for someone you really, really love, can't you? Well, Jesus gave up his life for all of us, even though we don't deserve it, because he loves us, even if we don't love him in return. What Jesus did here is he peacefully accepted what was in front of him in that darkness. He was obedient to death for us. Because he knew that light would always overcome the dark. His perfect life meant that death couldn't beat him. And he miraculously came back to life. Which is what we see at Easter and that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate every week. Thank you, Jesus. 
And yet at this moment in the story, where we've been today, it's a pretty dark passage in a sense, I know, just from preparing from it. It's so dark, the betrayal and this approaching death. Jesus knew that God was completely in control of it all. This was the hour and the power of darkness. Do you, do you know that? That God is in control of the darkness. You might feel that you can't really even see what's in front of you. You're, you just can't. You feel overcome by darkness. Well, God is completely in control of that. You might feel sort of just this darkness hanging over you this morning. You might feel trapped in fear or in pain or hurt. You might have experienced betrayal in a very real and horrible way. Well, Jesus really, really understands. He's been there. He knows. He knows much better than we do. And not only that, the amazing news is that he's, he can break free. He can break us free of that darkness because he has control over it. You'll never be left in darkness if you ask for his help. If you trust in his goodness and power this morning, he will never leave you in the dark. And so I just want us to um, think about where we're not trusting in God this morning. It was really helpful earlier about that image of um, the rooms, a house with lots of different rooms, and we like to keep places secret, don't we? We like to hide away, just think, oh, I'll just shove everything under the bed, or I'll just put it in the cupboard, and no one will see it. And that's like, that, that is what it's like in our hearts, when it's too shameful to admit something. You know, when it's, it's horrible, we don't want to admit our weakness. But God can break free. He can open up the cupboards. He can expose all of this. And, and he can bring forgiveness. And he can bring light. And he can even bring a new house. <laughs> we don't even need to, yeah, be living in where we've been, we've been dwelling. Because God really is in control. Even at this worst point of death, it's a very, very specific time here in Jesus' life where he give God gives himself, God gives his son over to Satan. It's a very specific passage we can't read ourselves into. But similarly, in, in the darkness of our own life, it's still that same God who is in control and can bring lightness and life to you this morning. Do you trust his perfect timing? This is your hour, he says. He's completely in control. Do you trust that he is in control this morning of every part of your life? We're so impatient. I really, really struggle with impatience. Just want things now. And it's so ugly. And, and like I said at the beginning, God can slow down time and just say, it's okay. I'm in control. 
You don't need to worry about that. Your finances, or a job, or this relationship, or this house. You don't need to worry. I'm in control. And look at that, this perfect image. It's beautiful, the image of Jesus coming lower and lower and lower for us. That amazing act of humility. Are we humble in that? Is that our, our heart's position towards him? Or are we just trying to grab it all, be in control, be at the top, I'm going to get it all in my own time? Look at that image of humility. And so let's just um, pray. I'm sure Luke can help lead us. I'll just pray um, now as, as we end that um, we will have that peace in knowing that we can trust in a God that um, was completely obedient. Jesus was completely obedient to his Father in, in face of the worst things. And um, he wants us to have that same power. He's given us his Holy Spirit face things in our lives that he can overcome. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your perfect, perfect plan. That even when we, if we didn't read on in the story, we'd just be thinking, what on earth is happening here? A best friend, a friend betraying for a pitiful amount of money. It seems so dark, but we thank you, Jesus, that you knew that your Father was in control. Lord, and we thank you that we, we can come wherever we are this morning in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, and that you, you want to give us um, real life and real lightness and peace to know that you are in control of the darkness. Lord, we want to trust you with our lives. We want to trust you with our, the timings of our lives where we feel, why is it not going to how I wanted it to go? Lord, thank you for your perfect example of becoming a human. Thank you that means everything to us. That you went from the heights of heaven to the depths of death so you could rise again and cleanse us from our absolute sin. That we are in darkness without you, Lord. But thank you that the light overcomes the darkness. God, I pray for our hearts this morning that we would open ourselves up to you. We'd be humble. We'd prefer others to ourselves. Lord. We'd, we'd, we'd lift ourselves out of our, our own little world. And we thank you. Lift up our heads to you this morning. Thank you that you shine your light. Those who look to you are radiant, God. I pray we would be a radiant people who looks to you in whatever situation that we people at work would be saying, what is it with you? You, you glow. You glow in your face. Lord, I've seen that in people, that they glow with the radiance of Jesus. We pray for that for each of us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit.